0: That's heritageradionetwork dot org slash fifteen to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March thirty first. Thank you.
1: Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You're listening to heritageradionetwork
2: dot com.
3: Whole Foods Market brings you meals worth sharing this holiday season. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com slash shop for our online menu and ordering system. Local turkeys, inspired sides, and even a little something for your hosts all available online or in-store at one of our six Manhattan locations. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com for
1: more details. All right, we're back on Let's Eat In. It's a gorgeous Monday, fall, crisp, November. Doesn't feel like November, though. And we're at Virtus Pizza at Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Arroway. Um, and despite the lack of chill right now, it is time to start thinking about winter and uh, all that good holiday cooking we got got cook- uh, coming up. Um I wanted to talk a little bit about CSAs, because usually you think of CSAs signing up for it at the, the beginning of spring or before. But actually, there are so many winter CSAs right now, and there's, they're pretty various, too. You can get a meat CSA. You can get an egg or milk share. It's, it's, uh, there are plenty of vegetables, of course, um, but, but you got options here. And now is a good time to sign up before uh, they begin. And I've got a guest here who runs the local root CSA. Wenjie Ying, thanks for coming. Hi. (laughs) Hi, everyone Um, on TVLand. So Wenjie has had an illustrious career in CSA. Um, She started out as a a CSA coordinator for Red Jacket Orchards, doing fruit shares, which was the first ever. So she's really a pioneer there. And now she pioneered her own um, CSA called Local Root CSA and has three locations. Um, Brooklyn and Manhattan. Um,
3: oh, we actually have five locations.
1: Five locations, all around. All the, around. All around. Um, but yeah, so they're they're calling now for uh, winter CSA signups. And what can you expect from your winter CSA?
3: Um, so the idea behind Local Roots NYC is to re- create CSA more convenient for people in New York City. So um, instead of having a twenty-four month commitment like most CSAs do, we have we break up the season between summer. Did fall. you say twenty-four months? Comm- I mean twelve months. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's a long CSA. <laughs> um, summer, fall, winter, um, and we actually let our members sign up for any kind of share to join the CSA, whereas most CSAs, you have to join a vegetable share to join the CSA. So you have different packages you can create and customize. Yeah. So for the winter share, we are um, featuring vegetable, fruit, um, meat shares, bread, egg, cheese, and grain shares. And What kind of local vegetables are around in the winter? Well, ironically, because um, Rogowski Farmer, Vegetable Farmer, was hit so badly by the hurricane, they immediately just built some greenhouses and high tunnels at their farm. So in the wintertime, instead of getting the root vegetables like you normally would, we're actually getting leafy greens like Swiss chard, kale, spinach from their high tunnels. So it'll be kind of... Wow, way to spring back, literally. (laughs) Yeah, there are amazing people up there, so... Oh, so creative. I'm so glad to
1: hear that. That sounds like a good success story from Hurricane Irene under such horrible uh, conditions up there, Virgoski farm. Wow. Um, So I'm going to hit you with some hard questions. Okay. Um, uh, You know, so local root CSA uh, slightly differs from a lot of other CSAs. When Jay created it, you're a first. Mm -hmm. And um, it it has these amazing options for the member, um, which is a great way to get new members, I'm sure. Um, But also, uh, there was a... And I'm going to quote a, a recent uh, op-ed, I think, in uh, Edible Manhattan or Edible Queens, I believe, by Jackie Berger, who is the president of Just Food, mm-hmm. and Just Food is, uh, of course, a great nonprofit in New York City that has seen the and engendered the the great rise of CSAs from like one in 1995 to 100 or more than 100 now. Um, you know, so she would call your CSA an alternative CSA model. Mm-hmm. Um, and the three, I I think, main, or one of the points that she was saying, and we love Jackie, by the way. She's an amazing person. I actually used to be a
3: VISTA at Just Food, so I learned everything about CSA from Just Food.
1: Amazing. Um, So she thought, she said in this piece, that for one thing, um, there's not as much, or there not necessarily has to be as much of a community commitment. So, you know, at most CSAs, you have to take a shift and help distribute it. It's kind of like a... Uh, a co-op or something Mm -hmm. in that way sense. Um, So that's not always the case. I I know it is the case for years and there's a lot of community events and hangouts that you do. Um, And then, but the main thing is that uh, there's not also this necessity of buying a huge upfront. uh, Okay, so, so the beauty of how CSAs work is that you insure this farm that no matter what happens throughout the season, thick and thin, this is what I'm paying right now, and let's uh, experience it together, whatever the season happen, uh, ha- holds. Right. Um, so that's a wonderful thing for the farmer, because no matter what happens, they're insured that they, they have this money and they can continue on with their season. Um, it, I would argue it's a great thing for the consumer, too, because you get that learning experience of, of being deeply connected with the farm and, And uh, growing and uh, experiencing it So, But you know also It's maybe not um, Maybe it's not a good thing for some people Because it's not as convenient And you have to go with the flow
3: Um, You know we actually Base our CSA in the same model Where our members sign up for the whole season Pay up front And with that benefit it's actually You take the monetary value out of food Which I think is really great Because food I mean the value is beyond money it's your health, it's what your life is revolved around. Community, um, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Right. Um, what was the question? I
1: don't know. I, ju- I guess. Oh, what? <laughs> the topic. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, so it sounds like you took the best parts of the CSA model and kind of just fashioned them to include various different farms. Mm-hmm. And that includes like a duck and eggs and dairy for you which is something that a lot of csa's do too they have these optional right shares
3: um and i actually think that this year is our first year but it actually was very symbolic of what we believe in because you know our vegetable farmer was hit by this hurricane the right before like three days before our fall season was going to start
1: and (laughs) it was like yeah
3: you know and (laughs) we had this decision to make like what do we do? Because we have to provide members with food because mm-hmm. we're a new organization. But at the same time, we want to support our farmer as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I went up to the farm um, right after the hurricane and talked to Cheryl, the farmer. And I told her that no matter what happened, even though we're a new CSA with them, that we would stand by them no matter what. Um, and, you know, we've done fundraisers for them. And CSA is interesting because there's no formal contract that, is written up between members and the farmers saying that, like, what this relationship means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot of trust and um, just the fact that people are members and want to support, I think, means a lot. Right. Um,
1: I, I think that the risk here with some model, or CSA models, or CSA-like models, is, is that you could have a middleman situation where they're making a huge profit and just kind of chunking it. For the consumer, repackaging it for the consumer and you know, that could probably happen. It probably does happen all the time. Yeah. Um
3: so Except yeah, we actually Is that a um, I don't know. We I mean I think I know about eighty percent of my members' names and what their occupations are and you know, their their life situation and I also And how many members you got? Um, I'd say about like two hundred. Oh, you have, like, a flock. That's so cute. MJ, <laughs> <it's> really <laughs> great. And I also, on the same level, I know, I mean, all my farmers, I talk to them really frequently. Um, Rogowski, the staff at Rogowski Farm considers me part of the staff there, mm-hmm. which is, it makes me feel really happy about. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Are you crying a little bit? No. no okay. But I am sitting really far from you. Yeah. <laughs> so, maybe.
1: Um, I... So what have you seen has changed most drastically? Um, even in the past five years, we've seen an incredible rise. I'm, I'm not sure what the percentage is, but a huge spike, I guess, in mm-hmm. CSA popularity. Um, do you see any other changes besides like what Jackie was saying? There's now people that are doing, you know, all different ways of CSA. Um,
3: there, uh, yeah, um, the the great thing is is that when I talk about what I do, More than half people actually know what a CSA 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 is, is. which is really amazing. Which is nice because it's kind of a a hard thing to explain. explain, Yeah. yeah. Um, And also, I mean, it's really great that a lot of meat farmers and cheese farmers also are trying to create their own CSAs, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is really wonderful because CSAs support farmers in general Mm -hmm. and should not be specific to like one kind of farmer, like a vegetable farmer. Yeah. Um, And there's an overwhelming response that people prefer joining CSAs because they encourage them to eat healthy. And it's a direct educational resource of how your food grows and the seasonality of things.
1: Right on. Yeah. And what do you think you would like to, what are some roads that you might like to pave um, going forward? Like you, you have duck. I mean, uh, you have incredible options here. Um, anything else? Like you, you're dying to uh, honey. I don't
3: know. Oh, what products? I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. In the future, I mean, we just had a cheese and juice this season. So next year, I'm hoping to add milk and um, maybe if, syrup. And also, like, um, I mean, there's a whole world of... The whole yeah. idea of Local Roots is to br- bring your week's worth of groceries oh, in I one see. place from local yeah. producers.
1: So you can make a, a... We did this, actually, for our dinner. A duck cassoulet using some apple cider and Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs>
1: We should come up with like recipe bags. We can work on that. That would be fun. <laughs> Hand it out each week. You have to use that in this together. No. Um, well, I try- It probably I actually- happens, though. That's the funniest
3: thing. Yeah, I mean, I actually... Um, we try to provide recipes every week. Mm-hmm. Because that... In the newsletter and stuff. Like in that. the newsletter. And we also bring them to the um, distribution. Because that also encourages people to try different ide- um, recipes. And also to kind of expand their... Ideas of what to make with certain um, products, so I'll try to incorporate at least two or three items from the CSA in one recipe. And cool. a lot of them we actually get from your blog, not Aww. eating out in New York. Wow, I should um,
1: make some more duck entries soon. <laughs> um, and it, the other thing is like meat CSAs. Um, there's a few. There's quite a few now, and of course we've got Heritage Foods where you can always order really, really amazing. Uh, heritage meats, but um, meat, joining a meat say there's something really cool about that to me may um, not be for everybody but uh, you get unique cuts from meats um, you, you can usually say what you like and don't like because you know if that's an issue but um, up front but um, I love the spontaneity of getting you know and it's mm-hmm. such a value such a value too and we're gonna come up to we're gonna have all these like cold lazy Sundays where you just want to make a s- stew beef yeah. and it's you're not going to have to run to the store and spend an arm and a leg just spend an arm and a leg now
3: take, <laughs> take off your arm and leg and the best thing about pre spending an arm and a leg on meat CSAs is that you know you can just put that pop that right in the freezer and pop what pop just the meat you the can just meat. put it right in the freezer yeah. if you can't finish it all that week and you know in three months you'll still have food to eat you'll be the best party host ever mm
1: mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a commercial right now for CSAs, but I guess, yeah, I guess, yeah, we are. That's okay. It's a good cause. It's a good thing to advocate. It is a good thing. So, Wendy wanted to drill me next. Um, We're going to cut to her song of choice, though. What'd you pick? Oh, Nutramilical Hotel. Okay, we'll be right back. That was uh, Wen Jay's song of choice in Chilmuk Hotel, which is really ironic because you're allergic to dairy, right?
3: Yeah, I'm not really sure if he ever sings about dairy, though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, once again, it's Wen Jay Yang from Local Roots CSA. We were just talking about how uh, signups are right around the corner until when's the deadline? Deadline is November
3: 27th. Mm-hmm. Um, right after Thanksgiving. Right after Thanksgiving, yeah. So, you just came back from a really great trip. I did. To Taiwan? I did. Is that true? I did, yes. Um, so what was, I guess, your motivation of going there? I know that you're half Taiwanese. Mm-hmm. Um, did you try any great food? Did you cook there? Did you only go to restaurants? I got to cook there.
1: I got to try foods. I got to eat at street stands and restaurants. And uh, yeah, I was there for a while. It's two and a half weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a country, uh, island Sorny topic there, country. Right. <laughs> um, about the size of New Jersey. So I traveled pretty much, you know, around it.
3: Mm. Did then, you have family there still?
1: Um, I don't have family exactly. I have like like half aunts. <laughs> it's tricky. But um, no, I didn't have any family. I still have friends there. So I was good to mm. catch up. And your family is from Taiwan too, correct?
3: Technically. Yes. Um, I guess I just learned this recently that um, in Chinese culture... Where, you, where you're from is actually where your father is from what so my dad was born in Taiwan because my par- um his parents left China during the revolution um same with my grandparents on my mom's yeah season. which I think is like the case with a lot of yes. Chinese
1: people and then they didn't consider themselves Taiwanese
3: yeah so it's because my dad was born in Taiwan but his father is from China he says he's Chinese
1: exactly the same story as my mom hmm yeah Really confusing.
3: Very confusing.
1: I've because it, what am okay. I? <laughs> and now you're an American. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, this is actually something that... Uh, why are we talking about... Anyway. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's very. It's a very good question because it comes up and I'm like, well, uh, I think that I, I have friends now who whose parents are in the same boat and they grew up in Taiwan and they now, this generation, if we were to be there... Um, call themselves Taiwanese. Because, you know, it just happens. You're just there now. So Um, it's a different kind of Taiwanese, I guess. There's like levels of taiwanese New age Taiwanese. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) New-anese. Yeah. Um, So do you feel like your Taiwanese background has really influenced your cooking? And do you feel like this trip to Taiwan, um, has it changed your viewpoint on food? Absolutely. My Chinese, Asian,
1: whatever you want to call it, um, cooking background definitely is is so uh instrument it's so influential um it's it's where i learn how to cook most vegetables and it's very different from i think that uh the way vegetables tend to be handled and in all different aspects like how how you uh quickly cook meat by chopping smaller pieces that's just like that's just um it's instinctual to me um instead of roasting a big turkey mm-hmm. like we're about to do in a couple weeks.
3: <laughs> I've also noticed <clears throat> with a lot of the recipes that you create, it's the color, mm-hmm. which is also very similar to Chinese cooking where the color in, the, in a meal is very, very important. important.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, It's probably important here too now when it's very helpful now to have that background mm-hmm. because people want to have colorful food now. So. so
3: were there any food trends that you saw in Taiwan well, basically, what
1: I was trying to do is compile what is Taiwanese food, and uh, in a really broad spectrum and a really fascinatingly diverse way, um, because you have, as we mentioned, the older generations of Taiwanese, and then you got different ethnicities like Hakka, and you got Aborigines who are even way, way older, and then you got like people who came from Sichuan Province because that mm-hmm. was actually the last last stand for Chiang Kai-shek's army. Um, so there's some influence from there. Um, what was what was your question? Any food trends? <laughs> oh, food trends! Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing how trendy they are with food. Um, like pizza, like there, there's a trend. I don't think everyone likes it though. Uh, maybe younger kids like it, and they like things with cheese in a really weird way. Like they top rice curry dishes sometimes with like a gratin of cheese, which sounds <laughs> gross, but uh, basically they're experimenting right now, and they're looking and to all different influences in food which is pretty cool and i'm sure there's a lot of hits there's Mm -hmm. some misses for me but for them you know everyone it's a totally different palette over
3: there yeah um sustainability is so popular right now in new york city and america do you feel like that topic is talked about in taiwan or um, really cool that you
1: asked that because i was wondering that myself. And on this trip, I learned hardcore that it was definitely alive and kicking. And it's not so much a young, hip thing at all, but it's it's like mothers and old ladies who care about um, chemicals possibly being in their food. You don't get a lot of uh, jarred goods from China. They like made-in-Taiwan foods because of all these, you know, scares in recent years. They don't trust them. And um, there's... Now, I went to a few stores that are like, no GMOs, no uh, you know, organic, that were all touting that. I went to an organic farm. It was great. We have an amazing guest, too, right hey, here. You, right? Hey, this is a, <laughs> a friend. While we're going off into all sorts of topics, we might as well be joined by a food photographer and videographer. Oh, no. um, <laughs> bring over one of these guys. Throw on a set of headphones. It's Eric Wolfinger, and he's a photographer who shot, among other things, the Tartine Bread book, which is a really good book.
3: And you have very nice hair.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <And he's, laughs> I worked on it all morning, that's why I'm late. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> I can tell.
1: Um, so, what brings you to New York City, Eric?
2: What are um, you working on? Here to see friends. I went oh, to okay. meetings and okay yeah Yeah.
3: (laughs) this is actually interesting i've always wondered what is the secret to taking pictures of food if you don't have good lighting
2: if you don't have the lighting ooh, like say you're just in
3: your apartment and you're an amateur food blogger right i i would tell you i i don't shoot in Mm
1: non-daylight natural light
2: yeah i would say the secret is to take it somewhere where you do have good light the secret is not to have a day job right (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was, that was Pete's major frustration in Taiwan was like you guys were in like, these indoor markets yeah, and he didn't have like the My
1: photographer buddy who came to Taiwan with me.
2: Yeah, and yeah, did a we, beautiful job. I mean, I've seen oh, good. a lot of this stuff. The work looks great.
1: Can't wait to show everyone else. Um, yeah, he did a great job, but
3: yeah. Is, do you feel like food blogging is um, a thing in Taiwan right now?
1: I don't really know. I, I experience and I um, see that through um i can read it online here so i didn't see people blogging physically (laughs) (laughs) but um i do see like every time we turn on the tv in a hotel half of the shows are about food like food media is just like every day and sometimes it's really wacky like there's wacky hosts going on um basically a scavenger hunt of taipei where you have to like eat this food at that stand (laughs) and it's like everybody's obsessed with food or like cooking shows. So yeah, there's a lot of food media. So probably.
3: So (laughs) what kind of cooking techniques have you taken back to America? Ooh. Um, um, you know, one thing I was really
1: fascinated with was I went to this tea growing region called Maokong, and there's a lot of tea farms. Taiwan makes really great tea, uh, grows it. That is. And, uh, this area had a few restaurants that specialize in tea cuisine, which is like taking the ground tea leaves, or not ground, sorry, taking the whole dried tea leaves and grinding them up like in a coffee grinder, so kind of chunky, and then throwing them into dishes like fried rice, simple. And you get that kind of uh, floral little touch. It looks like ground black pepper. I thought that was really fascinating. Have you, made, have you used that technique yet? Uh, Um, I probably should, yeah. I brought some tea back, but... Yeah,
2: like regular tea, toasted, ground, and like used to season food.
1: Yeah, but their tea is pretty special. So Mm. Taiwanese tea is like fermented and like aged. It's like usually an oolong type, whole whole leaf. Yeah, it's really yummy. Yeah,
2: when I was in Taiwan, I brought back like the the 2010 harvest or the 2011 harvest or whatever it was. Ah, like vacuum sealed bags. Gorgeous tea, but yeah, I'll go home and toast it,
3: totally, (laughs) and grind it. So, what were you doing in Taiwan?
2: Um, I was traveling. I was visiting a friend, and we did like a little eight-day tour of the island, like a, di- a different city every day.
3: Yeah, you could do you could do Taiwan in eight days, it's really. really? Yeah, because he, yeah. my mom I mean, just asked me if I wanted to go to Taiwan for ten days, and
2: you should say yes. And I
3: was like, <laughs> "That's too short."
2: <laughs> yeah, but you could all you could, you should also say yes. yes, and then like.
3: Well, I was holding off so we could all go together.
2: Ah. <laughs> You and Kathy. No, all of us. Oh, group oh. Group all right. Group I'll troop. go back. Yeah. I'll definitely go back.
3: <laughs> what did you
1: what what struck you about the food that you encountered? Um Was it good? Was it bad? It was amazing. Okay. It was, it was amazing. amazing. Thank I think you. what what
2: struck me was like kind of everywhere you go, you eat well.
1: Mm. Yeah. Like
2: whether you're in Taroko Gorge in the middle of nowhere or like so in the city. So it wasn't
1: challenging to you and I know you're a foodie. It wasn't nothing yeah. was too weird.
2: Honestly, like, like, I guess I went and I was like, oh, I'm going to eat, like, rice Mm. for a week. I wonder how that's going to go, you know? Because I have such an, like, a crazy omnivorous diet in San Francisco. It's like, one day it's pizza, one day it's Indian food and whatever. Mm -hmm. And I felt so good eating in Taiwan. Hmm. Morning, noon, and night, yeah. Like, the savory porridges for breakfast. Mm -hmm. The, like, incredible... Boaties. you you
1: you like the kanji i find that that's a hard sell for the what kanji for breakfast like a that's like the, the rice porridge. porridge
2: yeah i love rice porridge. really yeah
1: <laughs> and uh, eric is not taiwanese by the way so i'm no. just <laughs> <laughs> clarify um i also like the rice porridge mm-hmm. so i i feel like there's certain things like when you sit down and like the the western people eat this and the non-western people eat that there's like a strict divide i don't know i'm trying okay, to okay stinky
2: tofu that. i couldn't get
3: my my yeah, head or my stinky tofu is tough
2: my lips are <laughs> stinky tofu.
3: <laughs> your nose around it yeah anything stinky around tofu it. is what it what it, the name is it's tofu that stinks but it, it tastes great i actually really want to find out how to make it
1: um and maybe appreciate it after making it because you know I, I like to get around the mystery of how something is mm-hmm. done
2: I looked at it like Taiwanese blue cheese you yes, know like you yeah. give a you give somebody who's never had like molded cheese before they're like really mm. and then you just over time acquire a taste I and all, all of a sudden you want like rogue for it you blue want like, the stinker <laughs> the
3: better so before you were talking about um... oh wait a minute can I can I can I wrap this up with my favorite
1: question of the day okay Okay, what is the ultimate, most amazing, ideal date meal anywhere on the planet? You make you know, it or you don't I came make here,
3: it? I thought about this question because you always ask it. Yes. And last time I said duck, yes, so I can't say that again. So I'm going to go second. Okay, Eric. You have to go first.
1: Ultimate date meal.
2: Ultimate date meal? Yes. <sighs> oh my gosh. The ultimate date meal is you and your date. Are somewhere where neither of you know what's going on. <laughs> you know, you don't know any of anything, and you and, and there's a market, and you like kind of go to the market. You like see some crazy things that you kind of have a sense of what to do with, and don't really know what to do with it. <laughs> and you like make a meal on your little camp stove.
1: <laughs> oh, that's amazing! That's a really good idea. Just go with. The I haven't flow had quite. I haven't, had, I haven't
2: quite had that that date meal. But if I were to have like a perfect date meal. It would like be that and then it would turn out like amazing wow like it would taste really good
1: that is the true adventurous like spirit date meal you go
3: with the flow uh,
1: lately Thank i've been on are. a couple
3: dates to chinatown and it's the best thing because you just go to different shops and just pick out different things from each shop and just in manhattan's the, chinatown in the, yeah okay. and sit at the park and just eat it
2: I, that that could be like my that could so be, like that the, would the be the your date, meal date mail. That I just
3: described. Oh, really? Like, like, <laughs> I have no idea what's going <laughs> yeah. on. And it's, it's squash I mean, through Canal <laughs> Street and try to be romantic. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. And it's <laughs> nice for me because I can talk. I mean, they're all dishes that have kind of like nostalgic feeling for me. Oh, so you're kind of like the guide mm-hmm. on this date mail? I like oh, that. Oh, that.
2: that's good.
1: Two very interesting experience based date meals. And the Kathy one to add. Oh, you know, pizza probably. No, just <laughs> <laughs> I can't answer that. That's my question. Um, but it is the last question of the day cuz it looks like that's all the time we have. Um yeah. So, can we check you out at localrootscsa.org? localrootsnyc.org. nyc.org. And Eric Wolfinger? Yeah. Dot com. Eric Willfinger. Check out dot his com. portfolio of gorgeous food photography and whatever he's up to next, which I guess I'll find out after the show.
3: All right. And Kathy can be found at noteatingoutinnewyork.com. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks for the
1: collaboration, guys. <laughs> See you next week. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you,
2: love. <laughs>
3: following is a message from heritage foods usa join heritage foods usa this november reserve your heritage turkey today loved by all our chefs and customers for their unbeatable flavor visit www.heritagefoodsusa.com or call 718-389-0985 to order yours that's 718-389-0985